Hello everybody, welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Who Doctor Who Watch Along podcast. It's an interview one again this week. Um, no Harry, unfortunately, because he doesn't care about any of you listeners. Isn't that disgusting? Anyway, so it's just me, and I'm talking with the fantastic Big Finish Doctor Who novel, um, audio, comic, everything writer, Johnny Morris. Um, most recently, you probably know his work from Ghosts. Um, and also the brand new Time Lord Victoria story, Genetics of the Daleks, starring Tom Baker. Um, we talk about all of that. We talk about how to get into writing. We talk about writing for Doctor Who. We talk about future Big Finish projects. We talk about the hidden Big Finish vault, as I like to call it. So there's lots of exciting stuff coming up for you nerds out there. I'm the Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. From the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casterbury. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a doctor, but I am. I'm a doctor. There's probably nothing one looks Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want to start? So our first question is, what was it that got you started writing for Big Finish? Uh, well, this is going back quite a long time. This is going back to about 1999, 2000-ish, because um, I, I was a lapsed Doctor Who fan. I sort of, during the, um, the, world, during the wilderness years where other people were keeping the flame alive, I was just going, ah, let, let the flame go out for a bit. I'm quite happy with no flame. Uh, but then I sort of got dragged back in to reading some of the, the books and I submitted my own idea for a book, which was became Festival of Death. And that was the editor of that or the assistant, Jack Rayner, was so enthused about it. She told Gary Russell at Big Finish and Gary Russell went, oh, Johnny Morris, oh, I know him because uh, Gary was in the Eurasia fan club and he knew I knew him from there. Um, and we had, we had a few chats and I'd done stuff for radio. I'd done sort of things like weekending and the sort of sketches. Yeah. And, uh, Gary was good enough to sort of try me out for a big finish. Um, I was at the very first meeting when, uh, for the launch of uh, Sirens of Time. And I was sort of there just having, you know, having just moved to London, not being part of fandom really at all. Yeah. Just sort of sitting in the corner going, oh, look, there's, there's Stephen Moffat over there. Oh, there's Mark Gatiss and oh, it's Nick Briggs. And, and I, I knew no one. I, I, was, I talked to Gary for about half an hour. He's going, Johnny, it's going to be, I want you to do a story with Silurians and Sea Devils. Yeah. And, and that's how it all started. That was Blood Tide. So that was the first one I did for Big Finish. Yeah, we recently, um, we do a series called Big Finish Battles where myself and my friend Harrison, we pick a Big Finish story and we recommend it to each other. And he recently picked Blood Tide um, before we announced that you were coming on. So it kind of worked out quite well and he really enjoyed it. That's good. I'm quite proud of it. It was my first go. I always, yeah. I always say it was my first go. And it, um, the one thing, the one sort of proviso with that is um, when I was writing it, I was sort of under the impression that the way Big Finish would work would be that I would write that they record it and then edit it down to 25 minute episodes. Okay. And so there's more material in there than there should be. <laughs> um, so I was, I was sort of say it's, um, 
it's got an, it's got a, the right number of good bits for a 25 minute episode yeah it's just sometimes in half an hour or 35 minutes and there's stuff in there which i would given the chance again i would go cut that cut that yeah. cut that you know how much but, free um, reign do you get with a story then because like there's obviously a, a storyline that the show goes for and then big finish from sort of an outsider's point of view just seems to there's a gap there we'll do a story there we'll do a story with this character and this character is it quite hard then not to sort of affect the the TV show canon and sort of whilst also trying to make it slightly interesting for new listeners? Um, well, well, the brief is there is the producer. You normally has some sort of idea. There, there was there was specify which doctor and which companion usually, um, and there will be something like, oh, we've done quite a lot of history stories recently. Could it be set in space or in the future or? Could you do something with this monster or bringing yeah. back these characters? There's normally something. Um, and usually the more things you're told that the more helpful it is. Um, sometimes you sort of you're sort of wrecking your brain going, I don't understand how I can get Vicky and Joe Grant and Strax in the same story. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> but sometimes that's a hypothetical example. That's not an unmade story. Um, so a lot of it is just sort of trying to come up with ideas that haven't been done before yeah and with doctor who that, that can be a problem because there's you know there's like there must be a thousand stories if you yeah um there's the tv stuff there's um all the big finished comic strips and books and then from about 2005 there was the added issue that um you'd come up with a great story i go oh, um i mean one of one of the things i did in the comic strip was i want to do a story where the tardis is taken over by an evil entity Hmm. and where the evil entity changes the nature of the, the corridors inside and everyone's trapped and okay yeah <laughs> and so it's like no neil gaiman's doing that one and so <laughs> the added complication is you're trying to sort of do stuff like the tv series yeah but every now and then you get so close you you go no they're doing that i mean even with um genetics of the daleks um which isn't even out yet there's a there was a part of that that had to be changed because i'd very accidentally sort of got very close to um the evolution of the daleks which okay, i have yeah. no idea what happens yeah, yeah. in but <laughs> i know one thing that happens in it because i had to take that out of my story oh so, very interesting you're teasing us i know i'll get to genetics of the daleks later i want to save that to the end but have you so you write for the comics books big finish seems like the only doctor who medium that you haven't indulged in yet would be the actual main show Yes, I, I am. I am aware of that. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think there's stage plays. I haven't had a go at stage plays yet, so I'm, um, I, I have my, my ambitions there as well. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where uh, occasionally I've been sort of been to signings. Yeah, and then people and people sort of come up to go, Johnny. You know, it's, it, why aren't you working for the TV show? You'd be really good at it. You know, and I go. I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> it's a it's a very nice thing to say, um, but please don't sort of portray my current career as some sort of being second best yeah. or being a failure. Because, um, you know, in, in terms of being a writer, in terms of being prolific and being in con constant employment and stuff, I'm doing pretty well, and I'm and I'm, I'm, I'm quite satisfied with how things have gone. Yeah. Is there a favourite story that you've wrote then for Big Finish? Is the one that you look at and you go, that's the one. That's one I would, if I had a list of all my episodes that I've wrote, all my stories, that would be at the top. 
Um, it's, it's a difficult one because um, it will change. And there's ones where I have happy memories associated with it, where it might not be the most well-received story in the world. And I mean, there's, there's ones where I think I, I wrote a great script and um, where that wasn't necessarily what came across in the end. But um, I, I, if I had to choose one, I'd, I'd go for, um, I think Static is the one that works really, really well. Yeah. It was a great cast, it was really well directed and post-produced. Um, but I'll, as soon as I said that, I've gone, oh, Damaged Goods as well. Damaged Goods is really good. Um, I'm very proud of that. And then I'll just go through all of them. I'll, I'll, um, there, was, there are only about two or three where I think I didn't, or I didn't get it, or I, yeah. or I didn't quite nail the script. But because I do, you know, I put the effort in. So. Yeah. Is there a difference when writing for different doctors? Because on screen, they all have their own different characteristics. But I always wonder how much of that is down to the actor or actress who's playing a role and not actually down to the writing. So for example, when you write for Tom Baker, is there a difference in how you would write for Tom as opposed to David or? Uh, there's there's two sort of ways in which they're different. Um, firstly, they have their, their voices and stuff. So um, the fourth doctor will, will be in it. The more dangerous the scene, the situation is, the more flippant he might become. Yeah. He might sort of, or, you know, you know that Tom Baker, if you give him a serious line, um, you know, like, we're, we're trapped in this lighthouse and we're all going to die. Yeah. He'll play it as though it's a joke. Yeah. So you have the, the actor's voice and that's, they're all very, very different in how they sort of play lines. Um, and the second thing is how they act within the story. And you know, the fourth Doctor and the sixth Doctor are both very sort of... Um, uh, assertive figures they'll they'll enter a scene and they will dominate it yeah whereas the fifth doctor is much more reactive he reacts to things around him he doesn't um he doesn't try to dominate proceedings and the seventh doctor of course is even more sort of um reactive and in the background and um you know the the, the chess master type thing um and then you have the the eighth doctor who sort of started out as a sort of almost archetypical doctor because yeah. obviously we know we didn't have a lot to go on but now even we have Paul McGann's voice and we we know what he's good at what, what, what his strengths are you know what what where where um this sort of situation so I, I wrote years ago where it was um Resurrection of Mars where it was all about giving him the best possible scenes to play where you know he's a great dramatic actor so yeah. you want to give make, make him situations where he's really playing the drama of a situation and you know, I've done one for a couple. Well, one for David Tennant, I think. And uh, so again, you're just going, okay. I'll watch a TV episode just to get his voice in my head. Yeah. And you you sort of you you do want a, a sort of um, it to be sort of similar to what it was on TV. I think um, I have him I have him saying the line, "I ain't afraid of no ghosts." <laughs> yes. In, in a, <laughs> Because I, I couldn't resist it. And just, just so we have a song can go, please never do that again. <laughs> but it'd be interesting to see if that's in the finished product. I don't know. Uh, but so, yeah, you're, you're sort of harking back to the TV series for, for most of them, not for Paul McGann's much. But yeah, you, you're, you, want it to, you want people to listen to it and go, that's the person I saw on TV. No, yeah, definitely. Was Doctor Who, was that always, did you always want to work with Doctor Who? Was that like the property to go for? 
Um, well, you know, I was and am a big fan. And uh, I, I, it's, I mean, when I was about six or seven years old, I started writing Doctor Who stories. And I sort of kept going for about eight years. It's, um, there's, there's this um, theory that if you do something for 10,000 hours, that's how long it takes to be, become you know, good at it. Yeah. And I think by the time I was about 15, I had spent 10,000 hours writing Doctor Who stories. <laughs> um, quite a lot of them never got finished. You know, quite a lot of them I got to the end of part three and I got stuck going, well, I think the villains have won this time. <laughs> Actually, I can't, I can't remember the Doctor defeated them. I, I didn't think that through. Um, and, you know, some of those things have turned up in big finish stories. You know, um, Cobwebs was one which I sort of worked out when I was about 14. Oh, so, wow. um, and uh, there's one which I'm, I'm going to be writing hopefully next month, which has bits of it from an idea I sent to the BBC when I was 16. Oh, uh, wow, that's in, so cool. Because I had a rejection letter from Andrew Cartmel going, we're not making Doctor Who anymore. It was quite a nice idea. So, but um, all these things have been sort of stored away somewhere. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I do massively enjoy writing Doctor Who stories, and um, I keep getting asked back, and so I must be, you know, the people who um, employ me must think I'm good at it. Yeah, I'm sure they do, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do as well. Um, it seems to becoming a writer seems to be becoming more and more popular than actually wanting to be on screen talent. Instead of wanting to be an actor or dancer or singer, people want to be the creative team behind whatever vision people are looking at. So do you have any advice for people who would want to be writers? Uh, well, there's, there's, I mean, I, I'm very, very wary of giving advice um, uh, because uh, you want to take advice from people who are more successful than me. You know, <laughs> take, take, advice from Russell, take advice from Russell T. Davies, read his The Writer's Tale book, read Stephen King's book on, how, on writing, uh, listen to interviews with Stephen Moffat and Jed Mercurio and Sally Wainwright. Those are, go to them for advice. They'll probably give you better advice than me. Um, the, one, the one thing I will say is um, if, if you're a writer, eventually someone will, will go, okay, I'll give you a go. What have you got? And they'll go, and she'll go, what do you mean, what have I got? I go, well, you say you want to write a radio script. Let's see a radio script you've written. Or you want to say you want to play, let's see a play you've written. And so you need to have already done them. Yeah. Um, if you want to be a writer, you need to have, you need a sort of, you need a, a portfolio of going, here's my sitcom, here's my drama, here's my film, here's my soap opera type episode, here, or whatever it is you want to do, mm. um, you need to have done it really. Um, because when, when I was script editing big finish doing breaking bubbles i was trying to find new writers and it was difficult because you'd find someone who you thought you know this person might be good um and you ask them go what, what have you written what other sort of fiction have you written and they go oh, i haven't written any yet yeah and you go well you th this is i mean this is fun this is the sort of stuff, like I said, when I was doing it, was 12 years old, I go, I would write a Doctor Who story for my own amusement. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you want to be, a, if you want to be a writer, you need to have 
a portfolio. You need to, so if you're not, if no one's employing you, you don't sit at home waiting for the, waiting for an email to come in. You go, okay, I'm going to get stuff done. I'm going to get stuff out there, um, and get better because yeah. the first yeah. the first hundred things you write will be crap, you know. And the, but then you'll start realizing what's good and what's bad in your own writing and improve. Yeah, I find that um, on a on a personal note, me and my friend um, around about last year started writing our own sitcom. Something we always thought would be fun to do, so we started writing it. And before we knew it, we had like six episodes of stuff we thought was quite fun. And we wrote this wrote this sitcom. It had like a story arc across six episodes, and then we sort of left it for you. And we came back to it earlier this year, and we just thought, oh, this would also work as a radio play. So then we started writing it as a radio script through um, Final Draft. But even the idea of thinking, oh, this would be fun if someone actually made this, but the chances of that happening are quite slim. But the actual process of writing something is quite fun and creative, and you can easily disappear into a, a void of make-believe. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, one one thing I know uh, Stephen Moffat has said is, the great thing about writing, your own, writing the script is um, your, your draft, is, is the one that you really like, your happy one. After that, people will change it and act, actors and directors might get things wrong or mess it up. But when it's you on your own doing your script, you can make it absolutely perfect, absolutely how you like it. Um, because yes, I mean, even if you're, if, I mean, it's very unlikely a spec script ever gets made. I mean, it's happened occasionally, it happened to me once, but, um, but even then you're gonna be asked to rewrite it so many times that you know the whole script by heart and you and every time you see a line you want to scream because it is so painful that you reread it rewritten it so many times you know it's i mean with big with big finish you normally sort of talk looking at two or three drafts yeah um when you when you go to television or doing a sitcom or something you're you're doing 10 drafts and you're going and 10 very, very different, sometimes 10 very, very different drafts. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a lot of work and you're spending months on the same half hour, whatever. So while we're talking about writing, it'd be a good segue to move on to the new book, Doctor the Monster Vault. Um, how did that come around? Uh, that, that was Paul Lang's idea. And he was, I think he, he was thinking of people who'd be good to write it. Um, it, it did sort of change in the sort of a brief because it was going to be um, more sort of behind the scenes stuff, but the the publishers were more keen on the um, the fictional approach. Mm -hmm. you know, um, sort of. So I was my sort of brief was to go write about it as though you're David Attenborough doing a documentary about each monster, uh, and so I. I, I think I did the mandrels first because yeah. I thought I thought that they'll, they'll start with something you really like and where I could go well this is you, you just look at the ecology of the story and go they're on this dark planet it's it's sort of in a permanent state of darkness they've got glowing eyes and tendrils so the glowing eyes must be used as a sort of allure mm. for insects and then you go oh those are, there are insects in that jungle which we know have a tranquilizing bite so if the um if the mandrels are feeding on these insects that have a tranquilizing effect that must be why mandrels are so full of vaxoin yeah and yeah. 
So, so basically, what I do is like for each monster, I just sit down and think about them far too much and try, <laughs> try to sort of extrapolate logically from what we see on screen and what we're told about them. Um, for, for where I could, I went back to the scripts to see where the writer had described them so I could use some of that, and um, which would sometimes be like wonderful and sometimes it would be um, like the Ice Warriors where the, the the script's description is entirely different from what they really ended up as. So you go, well, that's useless. Um, and uh, so I'd, I'd look at scripts, I'd look at deleted scenes, um, anything which the, the writer had sort of intended. I mean, for the pipe people in the Happiness Patrol, there's, they'd have a huge backstory, which is all in the rehearsal scripts, which I've put in, into the book, because going, well, that's sort of, it's it's, Graham Curry's intention for the monster. Um, I, I sort of avoided getting stuff from audios, books, and comic strips because it's, it's contradictory and because uh, it's a sort of a bottomless pit. Of, it, it, I would, once you've started going, what, what sort of, what's, what do we know about the Daleks from other media? You, yeah. just, you would just never end. No. You go, do I, do I include stuff from the 1965 Dark Annual? Um, <laughs> does that count? Does it not count? So I just stuck to the TV show. And I mean, sometimes I would just sort of have fun with it. I think um, for, uh, for um, the villain from the Husbands of Wedding Song, uh, King, what's he called? Uh, King Hydroflax. Um, I took what we knew, and I was going. Okay, he's a sort of a he's a sort of a comedy villain. He's slightly over top, so I would, I would sort of extrapolate a sort of a funny sort of backstory for him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, some of it's made up by me, but um, <laughs> it's all based very very firmly on the TV show or the scripts. So you've made someone else's job in about fifty years much easier when someone goes, "Do you mind writing a follow up book <laughs> about all these new monsters?" <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it is the sort of it is the sort of thing that could be updated, yeah. <laughs> you know, in two years' time. And when we were putting it together, we were we we were having discussions of going, should we include, um, I don't know, the celestial toy maker or something? Yeah. And going, no, he we can save him for the the villain vault. Yeah. You know, he can go go in there with the master and um, Dav Davros and stuff. Yeah. So there is there is potential for a follow-up and I'm going well we do that one then we'll do the planet vault and then the history vault and the future yeah. vault <laughs> I'm happy to keep going really but uh, it, it depends if you know people buy them yeah so you mentioned it at the start of the interview um genetics of the Dalek ties in with Time Lord Victorious Tom Baker and does it also slightly tie in with the escape rooms as well yeah it was, it was an unusual sort of brief um because it started off tying in as an escape room thing yeah um but it, that was when the, it was a different escape room it didn't have a dalek in it it was um a, a unit story uh so i the first version of it was it is um it was about a unit investigating time traveling squirrels yeah <laughs> and then and then they're saying no no it's, it has to be for the escape room with the dalek in it johnny and so i did a different another story which um again we'll, we'll never see the light of day with the daleks and then event, after after about a month it was oh we're going to time it 
can you tie it in with Time Lord Victorious? Can you join this escape room, which has had nothing to do with Time Lord Victorious, and do a story which joins the two together? Um, and, but by that point, I think most of Time Lord Victorious had either been written or set in stone. Mm. So James Goss sent me a big sort of flow chart of everything that was planned and sort of going, and, and you fit in that in the corner there. You <laughs> just a sort of a little sort of extra bit um, that we hadn't planned for. Um, so, you know, it's not massively linked in with everything else yeah. because it is essentially just sort of tagged on to the end. That's, that's um, not as an afterthought, as a sort of um, a bonus, I suppose. It's, um, uh, yeah, because um, I think if you followed the whole of Time Lord Victorious and it would end with a story with the fourth Doctor, so it almost sort of has a sort of circularity. Yeah. That the story ends at the earliest point in the Doctor's life. Yeah, because I remember when it was announced, a lot of people went, Oh, Tom Baker's doing Time Lord of Victorious now because originally we only thought it was going to be um, eight, nine, and ten, and then suddenly everything else started getting added in those comics, escape rooms, audio adventures, t-shirts, toys. It just seems to keep growing every time. Every time I go on Twitter, there's a new thing trending about the new Time Lord Victorious. Yes, I mean it's um, it's one of those things that um, these sort of things snowball and. Um, if you're doing a sort of merchandise or spin-offs, if you're doing these things, there's always the problem of how do you sort of get a profile? How do you get noticed? Mm. Um, because there's so much stuff. There, there was such a, there's been so much stuff. Um, and you want the fans and you want the bookshops or whatever to sort of go, this is a new thing. This is a big thing. Um, and this is a way of tying it all together. I think, um, you know, it's with his Dalek little little videos, and there'll be stuff on the BBC website and stuff. Hopefully, you know, it, it, the idea is this: this will be as big a thing as a TV series in terms of pushing the brand. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I'm just sort of, I'm I'm just sort of a little sort of following behind doing my my little Dalek story with Tom Baker. Um, so yeah, that, that's I. I came in very late and I'm very glad to have done so. <laughs> so that's December time. Is That's when Jessica's Dalek comes out, isn't it? It's around December. don't think they've given a date yet. They've just said December, I believe. Could be wrong. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think I've got ghosts out in November and mm. Daleks in December. And then I think mechanoids in January. I think that's that's my run. <laughs> Is there anything past January that hasn't that we don't know of yet that you could tease us with? Uh, well, there's a, there's a few things. There's things that have, that have been recorded. There's um, the Day of the Comet, which is coming out early next year, which I wrote in about 2016. Oh, wow. So it's a, it's a bit of a time capsule. I, I wrote it, um, you know, uh, in a different world, really. And... Um, <laughs> You know, and so, so that's going to be quite interesting because that's a, 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 I was sort of very environmentally minded at the time, and it's about a story where uh, the, the planet is about to be destroyed. Okay. And it's how civilization would cope or react to the idea of there being an imminent end. <laughs> you know, 
and so each of the sort of characters embodies a sort of reaction to it of being um, someone who tries to maintain order, people who just sort of just grab what they can and panic, or people who are sort of stoic and just go, oh, there's nothing to be done. We might as well just sit back and have a cup of tea and enjoy ourselves. Yeah. Um, so that's gonna, that's that's a sort of for me it's a sort of blast from the past. It's <laughs> it's sort of time traveling. And then after that, I, it gets difficult because I, I know there's stuff I've written which has been recorded, um, which hasn't been announced yet. You know, which might come out in five years' time. Who knows? Ah, okay. So there's a lot of, do Big Finish sometimes record a lot of stuff then and then just wait on it for a little while to see when a good time to release that would be? Yes, I mean it's more to do with um, actor availability uh, which sort of, which has, a, which works in two ways, I mean actors do become unavailable yeah, <laughs> um, um, yeah like Sylvester McCoy going, was going, going Big finish was going, we can get Sylvester McCoy anytime we want. And then he goes, sorry guys, I'm off to The Hobbit in Australia for five years. <laughs> so in that situation, they would go, okay, quickly, let's get as much stuff with Sylvester recorded as we possibly can. Yeah. Because we have to sort of tide us over that period um, rather, without it looking like we've lost him. Yeah. And so that happens and, you know, we there, there have been actors who have sadly passed away mm. and in that situation um the actors themselves have gone we, I, they would like to have the work now rather than wait a year's time when they might not be around so, yeah that's true yeah that's interesting yeah well thank you very so, much you know, I mean, oh, sorry go on johnny carry on sorry so 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 yeah i mean there, there are stuff which has been recorded um you know there's a lot of there's a lot of Tom Baker stuff as far as I'm aware. I'm not some, I don't, I think that's the main one where there's probably two or three more seasons recorded at least. And there you have it. That was a fantastic Johnny Morris. Thank you so much, Johnny, for giving up your time to come and talk to me. I really appreciate it. We are about to head into series two of our podcast where we're going to be watching, uh, well, series two of Dot Two starring David Tennant. We're currently chatting with a few possibilities of getting a few exciting guests on so do subscribe if you're listening to this on itunes leave us a five-star review if you're on youtube like comment subscribe and share turn that bell notification on for notifications whatever you do on youtube we don't really know um we've got a twitter account and all that just go into the description you'll find it more than happy to chat with all of you on twitter unless you're weird then maybe not but other than that Thank you so much for listening. Come back again next time for some more exciting Dot2 content. See you soon. Don't forget to click below to subscribe to the official Bigger on the Inside podcast.